Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. You're in for a treat with this conversation. Russell Higgins is a gifted horseman who's been teaching clinics and starting horses since 1999. He and his partner, Ruth Carlisle, have developed a fabulous online program where you can learn with them no matter where you are in the world. They also welcome people to their farm in New Zealand and will begin traveling again in the year ahead. In this conversation, we covered a wide range of topics, including trailer loading, Russell's online program, and how he recovered from a traumatic injury to be able to continue doing what he loves, teaching people and starting horses. Now let's get to the conversation with Russell. So one of the things that I always love to hear from people is what their origin stories are. Like how did horses come into your life? How did you get started? Oh, how big do you want the story to be? Um, <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I was, uh, I guess, very fortunate that I was brought up on a farm and my parents had a horse tracking business. So my father was in the Merchant Navy during the Second World War. And um, like a lot of the, the sailors, when they got ashore, obviously the first thing they'd do is go and get drunk at the local pub and get into right. a fight. But after that, yes. um, they'd look for something they could do that was just totally different to sailing. All right, being on a ship out in the ocean. So it was riding a land animal. And he developed the love of, of horses and, and horse riding. So uh, I won't make it too, such a long story. But eventually he ended up um, having this brilliant idea to get a property and open a horse tracking business. So he did that. Wow. Uh, so there are photographs of me. You know, I, maybe I could walk, maybe I couldn't, I don't know. But there are photographs of me as a, a real tiny, tiny youngster propped up on horses and held, you know, held on, on a horse. That is it. awesome. Yeah. So I've got to ask you, so you, you know, you mentioned your dad was in the Merchant Marines, then he, he's doing this as a, you know, side thing, um, something, a well, hobby, gone, something. Okay. He's gone out one, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So, but, so he decides to start this business, like, had he had much experience at that point or was it learn, learning on as he went? None. Okay. Like absolutely none. Didn't have, uh, no, not at all. He just thought it'd be a good idea. And, uh, you know, he just spoke to people and, you know, people helped him a little bit to get started. Um, and actually the name of, of the farm I grew up on was Brumby Farm. Um, oh, Brumby wow. is more likely associated with Australia, but it's actually a Yorkshire name. Um, and without going through the big, big story about that, but um, Brumby is now a name adopted by the Australians to, to give to their wild horses. Wait. So the reason he called it Brumby Farm was because it was stocked with wild horses. Oh, so wow. To buy horses would have been expensive, but you could oh just go find them. Oh my gosh. So not only did he, he decided to start this trekking business, but he thought, oh, I know I'll do this cheaply. I'll get yeah. wild horses. <laughs> How long did he do it? Did it for seven years wow. before having another idea to build a caravan park and lodge. And now lodge at that 
time was not very luxurious but it was a, a proper fixed roof right? you know? okay so, um so caravan park and lodge and the idea was that that business would mean that people could stay in the caravan park stay in the lodge and ride the horses but in that process they leased out one business and then that didn't go so well and they ended up just being very successful with the caravan park so oh that's that, cool and that's that's an rv park okay okay cool very yeah. cool so then so you were on you know you're around horses at a young age were you you know into them then or was it just kind of something your dad was doing and it was a funny thing um so there were always horses on the property but it, when i was very young whilst i had a love for western movies i didn't really consider riding so it wasn't until I was 10 that I actually really started riding. Okay. So, um, <laughs> and now when I look back on it, the funny thing was, it was somebody who was also living on the on the farm wanted somebody to ride with. So he said, said hey, come and ride with me. Went, okay. And we started up and then the neighbor joined in and then a friend from school joined in. And I, I look back at it now, I go, it was all guys. Interesting. <laughs> And I think, how how is that possible? But it was just, it was a farming kind of community. Right. And guys rode and uh, we just did it. And, and it was one of those situations where we're very young, obviously, and mm -hmm. you just don't know anything and you don't know you're supposed to know anything. So you just do it. Yeah. You just it's, kind of get on with it and right. make horrendous mistakes, obviously, and get hurt here and there, but but you do it. Right. Um, so yeah, from the age of 10 onwards, that was it. That was that was thinking and in new zealand it's a big thing at that time in my generation <laughs> uh, a big thing to play rugby so everybody played rugby okay i get rugby because it cut into my horse time wow okay so you, know, you were dedicated like big thing <laughs> you know? and did any of the friends that you rode with did they stick with it or did they stick with rugby well funny story so um last year we celebrated my 50th birthday and to celebrate that, and we're locked in New Zealand, we can't leave the borders. And, and mm -hmm. I was going to go to the Okavanga and do a horseback safari in, in Botswana, mm -hmm. um, there with the, the big five and that type of thing. Couldn't do it. So I decided, well, I've had this thing I've wanted to do for quite a long time. If you go up north of New Zealand, uh, there's a place called 90 Mile Beach, which is nowhere near 90 miles long, but mm -hmm. it's called 90 Mile Beach, uh -huh. has a big forest, and it has an unknown number of wild horses. The, the estimates are you know, wide ranging, but it has a bunch of wild horses and they're easy to see and they get up and down the beach and, you know, through the forest and what have you. So my idea was to go up there and I wanted to ride with the wild horses. Um, and Northland in New Zealand is a bit like the Wild West. You know, you, if you want to do something, you just do it. Nobody mm -hmm. really cares. <laughs> just get on with it. Right. So, and I'd been wanting to do this for about 10 years. So um, I decided I, I was just going to do it. And through somebody else, I was very fortunate, you know, people I knew, they said, hey, there's, there's a place you could actually stay there and that you keep your horse. So, you know, a place in the middle of nowhere, you, you stay. So that's great. And then I happened to be contacted by a guy who um, had was celebrating his 50th. And he said, hey, come to my, my 50th. I was like, oh, actually, I can't now because I've got these other things on. But I'm going up north. Anyway, this particular person was the guy that I used to ride with when i was at school oh, so we had seen each other for 37 years wow and we went riding together that's um, so cool we just picked it up from where we left off and the way we went and you know we spent a few days riding you know up and down the beach and through the forest and different places and he showed me around and he lives in that well, near that area not quite so far north but but near that that's area. really cool 
So full, full circle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with that attitude that you had as 10 year olds, of, this is just what we do. We just get yeah. on, we ride <laughs> among wild horses. <laughs> you just do that. So did you see, did you see wild horses when you were there? We did uh, easily to see them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, so we saw several little bands, um, probably the biggest band. There was about 13 in a, in a group. Uh, it was probably the biggest we saw, but we we did one mammoth ride um, one particular day. We went out and we, we, rather than riding out from where we were, which we'd done previously and seen some, we deliberately drove somewhere where we knew there were the watering holes. And so you're guaranteed to see wild horses there. And then from there, we were going to go on to what was really some of the major feeding areas for them. So you're guaranteed to see wild horses there. So we trailered about an hour or so. Um, so we're quite a ways north. There's not much more in New Zealand to go, actually. Uh -huh. at this point. And we got out and we rode this. We found both the watering holes, no horses. We went to the, you know, lush feeding area, no horses. Oh, no. We were riding around. We found a couple of stragglers somewhere. And we went out. And eventually on the way back, we, we came across a band of five. And then it got dark. And then, of course, we got lost. And then, you know, things happened and then we got laid and then people were worried because, you know, we had no cell phone coverage and, you know, it, it became a bit of a story that gets told now. Right. But we got back late. So we did. This was the big day. Meanwhile, Ruth, who, who my partner, who didn't join us because she had a dislocated arm. So she was waiting at the lodge. Mm -hmm. She'd walked out of the lodge and walked into a band, you know, 12 or more horses. Oh, wow. It just happened to come up and eat on the lawn of the Oh, that's awesome. All this way. Oh, that is great. So we had, well, that was a, a funny day. But um, no, we, we came across, uh, most of them were kind of around the half a dozen mark. So there'd be a band here and a band there. And, and they didn't like it getting too close, but we did get to, you know, ride amongst them. And it was great. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Did, did the uh, wild horses, did they influence the horses you were on? Or were they horses that had been ridden around them all the time and it was no big deal? Well, it was certainly new to my horse, okay. um, but other than, other than, you know, oh, look, there's a horse over there. Not really. Okay. So they were aware of them, but it wasn't an issue or, or right. a problem. Yeah. Um, and if we were to approach them, they would be moving away. So they wouldn't, right. you know, there would be no confrontation there. They'd you didn't have any stampedes coming from behind or anything uh, like that. Yeah. Thankfully not. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a cool, that's a really cool story. Um, so I'm going to jump into a different topic, but it's somewhat related. You know, I've, um, we've known each other for a while. We met on the Pirelli ranch. Oh, I don't know how many years ago, like 10 years ago, something like yeah, that. I was going to say a decade or more. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I've, you know, since then I've seen your Facebook posts and, you know, kind of followed what you're up to. And I've always really appreciated like how much of your, story you're sharing and the things that you're into and you just you've always been very approachable and and also really inspiring like you've shared some amazing things that you're doing with horses like one of the visions that I always have when I think of you is the you running alongside one of your horses as they're cantering and then you just leap on like everybody does you know it's just this amazing <laughs> thing but just the other day I saw you um doing a uh, trailer loading uh, video on Facebook. And it's so cool because you start off with one horse and the horse sees the trailer. You just suggest it. They run to the trailer, load up. Impressive in and of itself. Then it cuts to the next scene. You've got two horses. Same thing. It was, you know, they both see the trailer. They know what you're asking. They run to the trailer. Then there's four. 
like, oh my God, it was really impressive. Um, and that is something I think really stymies a lot of people, right? Is trailer loading. And you've been teaching now for a, a fair bit of years. We will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why? I mean, why do you think that's so, that's such a challenging thing between horses and people? Yeah, I think um, uh, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, and, and it is. And I realized for myself that the majority of horses I see and that people bring to me for help, you know, have issues with trail loading and that type of thing. So right. in my mind, yeah, when I see it, I think a, a large part of horses, yeah, a large majority of horses have trouble with this. Like in the real world, of course, I don't get to see the horses that have, you know, no trouble at all with right. that type of thing. So there are, of course, more horses that do it by one way or another than don't do it. But of course, I, I see the ones that, that don't. Right. And the reoccurring theme that I see is it doesn't matter what people are into, whether they have a sport application or whether they have uh, you know, some other recreational pursuit or work pursuit, they're doing what they want to do and they practice that. So if they were a jumper, they would practice jumping and they would practice jumping, they practice jumping. If they're working equitation, they try and stab that stupid ring, you know, <laughs> <laughs> ring, the, the elusive ring and, and various things. And if they're with cattle, they do that. But how many people put the same type of practice and preparation into loading a horse on a trailer? Right. Which is, you know, it, for most horses, it's harder to put them into a box than it is over a stick. Mm -hmm. You know, that's harder. So that, in my mind, requires more preparation than the jumping or than the working equitation or than the cow working. So, you know, I, I tell people preparation determines outcome. So here you are, you've done all this preparation for everything else, and now you have to go somewhere and you want your horse to go in the trailer. So what you're relying on is on the job learning. Right. So that'd be a little bit like, um, do you remember that time that we used to get into these big things called aeroplanes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We used to do that quite a lot one right. time. Seems weird now. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it would be a little bit like halfway through you know, the flight, I get tapped on the shoulder and say, oh, it's your turn to fly now but I don't know how to pilot an airplane. doesn't matter. Give it a go. You'll be right. Right. You'll learn. Yeah. Yeah. This requires some preparation, requires some learning. So I, I think really it sounds, I know it sounds too simple and too obvious, but I, I really think it's because most people don't think to do that. They don't think, oh, okay, I'm going to have to actually teach this horse how to do it, but also how I want them to do it, not just get in, but how I want them to do it. So it becomes something they can do repetitively and it gets better repetitively. Right. Uh, so the how becomes very important. And I think if we just approach it like this is a subject that we need to have a degree of excellence in, because you know, from my point of view, I'm not really preparing a horse to go into that trailer you know, when it's sunny and bright and beautiful and then to trail them an hour and, and then do my thing and come home, I'm preparing them for the time that we get stuck halfway because there's an accident and then something happens. Um, you know, for example, I've twice had wheels come off my trailers. Mm -hmm. Now, this makes me sound hellishly uh, accident prone, but but actually <laughs> I've traveled a lot. Okay, yeah, just right. So twice I've had the actual wheel come off and then you know your, your axle hits the ground, double axle, so it's not too tragic, but mm -hmm. there's sparks, there's noise and all these things. And uh, in those situations, often the horse has to come off and get into a different trailer because that right. is not able to be repaired on the side of the road. Right. 
I've had one instance where the trailer caught fire. Um, you know, that's not a situation that's great. Right. You know, all these things. So that's what I'm actually preparing for. I'm not preparing for it when it goes easy and right. just get on and just getting them there. And, and if I can just get them there, I'll be okay. If I can just get them there, I probably won't go. I want, I want that to be easy. I want the, that to be really, really easy. So if things mm. go wrong, then I can cope with it. I can deal with it by one way or another. I can, so yeah. what, what would you say is a big difference between a horse that's prepared for a wheel coming off a trailer and a horse that's just getting on the trailer and, you know, you're getting them there? Yeah. What would you say? I, mean, I think the really, and, and, and obviously I don't have the horse's mind <laughs> to function, but, but from my observation, it's really, they perceive more that the trailer is a safe place to be. So they're, they're not tolerating the trailer, right? accepting it, and this is the place I should be. So if things went wrong, geez, I better just get back to that trailer. Whereas the majority of horses, if, if something goes wrong, if somebody's drone crashes into the side of your trailer, they want to come out. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Yes. Noise, some unexpected thing happens. It's like, I better get out of here. Right. A branch scratches across it or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so it doesn't take much before they go, I can't tolerate that anymore. Right. So we need to get past that point of tolerance. Tolerance often looks like good enough. Right. Um, and being a New Zealander, I mean, there were two, two sayings that I was brought up with. Number one is she'll be right. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And, and number two is close enough is good enough. Well, what you find is it's really not. Right. Not if you want to get, yeah, have a longevity with this thing for yourself and your horse. It's really right. not. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting too, when you say that close enough is, is enough, um, that I think a lot of times we approach riding that way too. Yeah. Like it's good enough. Right. Yeah. But then, you know, a gate slams and all heck breaks loose. So, yeah. And, and yeah. haven't we learned over the years, sometimes it doesn't take much. Right. You know. And now it's time for a short commercial break. I'd like to invite you to a private Facebook group that's inspired by this podcast. It's called A Learner's Journey, and it's made up of horse lovers from all over the world who come together to share about their horse lives. We discuss these interviews, share about learning opportunities, and a whole lot more. It's a safe and positive place to be. You can find a link to join in the show notes or you can search Facebook for A Learner's Journey. We hope you join us. And now, back to the conversation with Russell. So I'm really excited, too, that um, I was just telling you when we first started that um, I went back to that Facebook post of you loading these horses in just an effortless way. And I actually read the post, um, because often I'll just watch the video, right? And I read the post, and you have a course that you're offering, um, an online course, which I was so excited about. Cause oftentimes when I talk to people in these podcast interviews, you know, people will share some things that they're interested in or passionate about or expert with, but then they don't necessarily have a way that people can learn with them beyond in person, which is awesome. But a lot of the folks that are listening to this are all over the world. Sure. So I'm excited that you have this. So Tell us a little bit about the course, and then I'll make sure that there's a link so people can check it out. 
Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, well, what we wanted to do, and, and obviously it's not a new idea, is to help people with their trail loading. People have been trying to do that for you know, many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, we went through that period where, you know, I, I started, of course, with videos and then it went to DVDs, where typically it was a one hour deal because people wouldn't really have a longer attention span than an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's dropped over the years, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it was typically now. So you'd so you saw something, and it was usually a horse that was struggling to load or had known difficulties, and it's somebody with a lot of expertise dealing with them until they loaded, and that was typically how that that went. Uh, and then you know, there's a few that are more sophisticated, but that that is still typically the thing. And then of course with the idea that we got these things called YouTube and other sort of forums like that you see videos where it might be 20 minutes or 10 minutes and and oftentimes the success is gauged on how quickly it's done right but you know you have all these things about okay this horse doesn't want to load this is what i'm going to do to load it he loads so i wanted to do something a bit different to that because that's not really what i do i've done i've done that a lot when i first came back i used to live in colorado you probably know with Mm -hmm. with pat's apprentice Uh, when i first came back and i didn't have any students nobody knew me um i put out flyers everywhere saying i will go and help you with your horse to load and i'd go out and and you'd have horses there they were totally not only unprepared to load um but had been taught not to or they were already terror and you'd you know it'd be like barroom brawl sometimes for these right. horses and then they'd load and you know that that's kind of how it went but when it came to teaching my students and teaching my own horses that's not how i did it uh i didn't at all do it like that i started at the beginning so with this trail loading or the online course, um, what I did is, and it, I have to warn you, it's, it's long. There's over mm-hmm. seven hours of actual real-time footage on it. Wow. So it, it's long. But what I started with is this is what I'd actually do way before I go to the trailer. Um, and with that, we also include, we have, we have other courses available. So we have what we call a connected horse, which is all the ground skills. So we give people the ground skills course. There's a little bit of an overlap with the trail loading with that. So we give them that whole course. So you, the idea is that you do that whole ground skills course, then you start the trailer. And of course the trail loading is starts with, can you use these tools with your horse without scaring them? Um, you know, if, in order for your horse not to be threatened by things you ask them to do, they need to be not be threatened by you. Right. So that's you know, that's where we start. Is they, you need to not be a threat to your horse. Now, once we've got that, we know there's often something comes up about who yields who in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And obviously, from a communication point of view, we need to have yields with our horse, but also from a safety point of view. So it, it's about you know here's how we build the the yields, and here's how we do this, and here's how we do that. Now that we have them. We'll put them into practice on lesser challenges. So we go through all the obstacles, the bridges, the tarps, the squeeze between barrels, they go over barrels, so they expose the underneath, the over, and all these three. So we go go through all these things, but it's not just doing the obstacles. It's this is this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. So by the time we get to the trailer, the horse already knows how this is going to go. He knows if they try, there'll be a release. So it's actually accelerated because he's not learning. The learning he's learning that if i'm presented with something that's difficult and i try there's a release so i don't need to fear pressure when i'm already worried about the obstacle right uh, so that that's a big thing so that takes up quite a bit of time mm-hmm. and you get to the trailer 
And the the first part of me with the trailer is I go and sit on the fender. Actually, mm-hmm. I can't remember if I sat on the fender or the or the ramp, but uh, I went and sat there and just let the horse hang out. And that was like that's our introduction to the trailer. And then uh, the second one, you know, I made the point they don't necessarily have to go in to learn how to go in, so they have to try, and then we quit. Uh, so we had multiple sessions. So we took it through multiple sessions, multiple sessions, multiple sessions. So this is what it looked like on day three and day four and day, and day five. Right. And this is what it looks like when I take the trailer and I put it somewhere else. And this is what it looks like when the horse is distracted by something over here. And, and so we went through all these things that, that do come out. Right. Um, just because I've loaded a horse on day one doesn't mean it's going to start there on day two. In fact, right. very, very unlikely. Right. So we need to show people what it's really like and what I really do. And I've got to say, it's probably, um, or at least if it goes well, it's probably not very exciting. Uh-huh, right. It's, it, it's not that the horse is pulling back and rearing and trying to strike me and kick me. And, you know, mm-hmm. that was fun at one t- stage of my life. It's not so much fun now. Right. So, <laughs> um, so we just go through that kind of methodical process and we know what we're looking for. Ah, but this thing happened today that didn't happen yesterday. So I get to show that and we go through that. And then... So we have a particular horse that we follow through. It's a three-year-old warm blood who, who's almost too big for the trailer, actually. Mm-hmm. But he's a big, big chap and, and a nice horse and not Godzilla on a string by any means. Right. So he's, he's not terrible, but he's not running into the trailer either. So he's very typical. He's mm-hmm. just a typical sort of horse. So we did multiple sessions with him. Um, and then we had other aspects there where we went, well, this is what I'd do if I had two horses. And this is how I'd load two. And, Obviously, that starts, but they need to both know how to load. Right. This is the sequence I'd use, and this is how I'd develop them, and this is why. And if I had one horse that was green and one horse that wasn't, this is how I'd do it. So we did, had a section on that. We also had a section on a on a horse that we had who had been loading well, but got into an accident. And oh, after wow. that, and, right. uh, I don't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. So an obedient horse, but you know, would if you get him in the trailer, he'd stand in there shaking. So mm-hmm. that's not what we want. Right. So we filmed the outcomes of that and we filmed him going for his first solo ride and we filmed him going on a trail ride. I I didn't film the whole trail ride. So Mm -hmm. it's okay. (laughs) So, you know, so we've taken him somewhere now we've ridden and now we've got to bring him home. Oh, it's so good. This looks like, and you know, this is a different environment. So you've got that set up and, and that sort of deal. So we this is really cool because I so many of the things that you're sharing I feel are missing pieces. Like I think a lot there's a lot of education out there for how to get your horse comfortable on the trailer. You know, loading, unloading, great. But then how about closing the divider? How about actually traveling, right? And then like you said, getting somewhere and then they won't get back on. So this is fabulous. This is really cool. (laughs) We had a funny thing. Um, now, when was it? It must have been, uh, i try to remember now. It must be about 2017. We have a, a show here called Country Calendar, mm-hmm. which is a television show where they interview various people in a rural setting doing various things. So they might be making um, wine out of fijoas or something different like that. Wine or, out of what? Well, fijoas are a type of fruit we have a lot oh, of. Oh, okay. Here. Okay, cool to New Zealand uh-huh. or they might be making um, cheese out of sheep milk or something you know weird. Mm-hmm. so so this particular uh, time they'd approached me to ask if they could do an episode on me and I thought sounds like a good idea I've always liked the show it's been mm-hmm. going for generations it's great um, and the the first thing they 
filmed was me at a show. So it was a show called Equidays and they wanted to show us arriving. Well, we'd already been there for hours, but they wanted to show us arriving and unloading the horses. So mm-hmm. we put the horses on the trailer. We <laughs> went up the drive, we came back down and they wanted me to, to film me unloading. Mm-hmm. So I, I unloaded the way I usually unload. Mm-hmm. And, and then after they'd finished, they said, that's great. Can we do that again? But can you just not pause? Like, can you just open it and get them off? And I said, no, that's not what I do. If you want to film what I'm doing, this is what I do. Right. So I opened the ramp. And in New Zealand, it, it's straight. Most trailers are straight loads, little mm-hmm. straight loads, sardine cans. So I open it. And before I let the first horse out, I wait and count to 30. So I'll undo the, the bar behind them, count to 30, and the horse should stay. If they don't, they get put back on. Of course, mm-hmm. I, I'm taking to a show a couple of experienced horses. So they mm-hmm. So anybody waiting, or in this case, doing a filming deal, is filming me standing there doing nothing. Right. So it wasn't very exciting. Right. But, then, but they picked up on that and went, right, well, okay, then let's do a voiceover, and you can tell us exactly why and, and oh, what you cool. achieved. And, and we did all that and that went on air and, and I've had a lot of comments from people since going, oh my goodness, you know, number one, I couldn't do that with my horse. Right. Uh, to my surprise. And number two, once I worked at it a bit and got to where I could, things were a lot better just from that one, one little piece. Right. So there's lots of these small elements that we tend not to think about. You tend not to see in a trail loading uh, deal, mm-hmm. but that you know, just the way we live, it's just what we do. And it creates habits that form behaviors that are, easy to deal with and just make your that's really cool um so i have two other questions one is about your unloading how you're having them pause why why is that important for folks that are listening yeah well it, it's very important really so number one and i have a little thing where I'll, I'll get somewhere i'll turn the engine off and then i might have a drink and then i might take my saddles out and get them ready and i might have a look around the environment and check things out and minutes have gone past and then I go to the horses. So they've already gotten there. The engine has been switched off and that, that engine being switched off does not mean you're coming out. So when you get to a, uh, what you call a gas station or, you know, a fuel station, of course you go and you have to switch the engine off, at least in this country anyway. So you switch the engine off. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people with their trays they switch the engine off and you hear this bang yes bang. <laughs> and these horses that that means come out right now you know mm-hmm. um because i guess typically people are prepared enough that we're you know if they take short journeys they don't have to stop they mm-hmm. just get there they get there turn off we better get the horses out quick they're impatient right. and it creates that that behavior so here you know i've i've traveled uh, what we call inter-islander so from the north island to the south island you arrive at the ferry one hour beforehand, you have to, and you turn off and you wait for an hour. So the horses sit in that trailer for an hour before you drive them onto the ferry to go the three and a half hour journey across okay. to the, on the other side. Now, you could imagine that would be just wonderful, wouldn't it? If you switch off the engine and they're banging and crashing for you know, an hour before you even get to go on the ferry. Right, so, especially if there were a collection of them. Yeah, oh, yeah. wonderful. Right. <laughs> And I also think, you know, there are times too, you might be kind hearted enough to say, well, I'm going to an event, you're going to an event, I'll load my horse, you're on the way, I'll stop and pick you up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop, I'm going to open the ramp up, right. on, which is made difficult for you if my horse is trying to come out and getting upset about the fact that he can't as you're trying to put your horse on. Right. I'm sure people listening are going, yeah, I've done that. 
you know, yeah. I've been in that situation <laughs> just yesterday, yeah. you know? Yeah. So my routine is I just, and I'm not talking about, I'm not leaving on for hours and hours, but you know, uh, I don't associate the switching off of the engine with coming out. Then I prepare them to come out by getting them ready there, but doing that, but, but right. And I usually have a deal where the, the one that was first on will be first off and then we switch, and then it's the opposite going back on, mm-hmm. uh, which varies depending on which horse I may be educating, but that that's the basics. Okay. So uh, of course, in this case, we're standing at the back of them because it's a, a straight load. Mm-hmm. So I'll undo the the chain or the bar, whatever you've got there, mm-hmm. and I count to 30. So that bar coming down does not equal come out. Right. Okay. So right. in the process of this, I might put it down, put it back up again. Okay. Down, but no, I don't do that every single time, obviously, mm-hmm. but, but the, my standard practice is I can put that down, wait to 30. So that is not a cue for you to come out then I'll offer a feel for you to come out. And, you know, I could offer a feel through the rope because I'll have that down the down with me, or I could mm-hmm. offer it with my more advanced horses from their tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that part's not, not terribly important, but the, the important part is you're staying on until invited to come off. And the this movement, this sound does not equal come off. That's so, it's so good. I think that there's probably a lot of people that are listening that in the beginning start started thinking, you know, oh, I'm okay with trailer loading. My horses are fine. But then when you start talking about unloading, you really do learn wh- how are they really thinking on the trailer? Yeah. How are they feeling about being on the trailer? And, um, you know, you find out. And I think that, you know, maybe some people are thinking, hmm, maybe I do have a little bit more homework to do. It, there's, um, a bit, there's a bit to it. I'm very, and it comes out a lot in a online course because mm-hmm. I'm always talking how they come off because I, right. I observe how they come off and that's a reflection of how they feel about being on yes so if we have a scenario and, and I, I hear this so often that my horse loads fine but he rushes out yes now i i would suggest he's gone on but he's not fine that's yes. what i would suggest in that um so we we go through that how do we you know set right. it up there i want to really observe how they come out and i want to want them to be okay that one horse is out and i'm not and or I'm out and the other horse isn't and, and right. we have a strategy for that as well that's really good I've got some work to do on this too <laughs> that's really good especially with the unloading one horse and the one that's left on is no longer okay like yeah. that's an area that I could definitely improve so that's really cool so with this course is can anyone like anyone all over the world do it or is it limited we've designed it yes so that anybody can and okay, we even cool. Um, we even borrowed somebody's truck so that we could do a special feature on angles and trucks. Oh, cool. Uh, because we don't have a truck and we don't have an angle load as much as okay. I like. But, like a slant, uh, a slant load? Slant load, sorry. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. So um, so we borrowed somebody's truck. So we have that as a you know subsection of the of the course. But Very we've cool. defined it so it can be done at home. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to attend a course, which is handy because if you're having trouble loading your horse, you probably won't be attending a course. Right. You won't be going to the trailer loading clinic. Yeah, that would yeah. Right happen. Um, and in, yeah, it is available to anyone. anyone that is there. super cool. Very, very cool. Um, so you have been, you know, working with students in a variety of settings. Like you, you start horses um, so you bring horses in and train them, you travel and do clinics, you teach one-on-one, you do video coaching these days uh, or yes, not well, so much? What we, what we actually did with the, with COVID, 
we went right we will start something up and we um we started up something and covid caught me completely unaware because you know i pretty much live what i do and i don't take a lot of notice to what else is going on much to my detriment really i should pay more attention to the world and, and what's going on but um but it caught me completely unaware so one minute we're just flat out doing our thing the next minute we're locked in our property right. which was a lot better deal I, I appreciate than other folks had but to me i was looking at going oh my goodness my our income just stopped right that's a problem for us you know? right and it's only going to be a couple weeks yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so anyway we and then we realized that there was a lot of people out there you know feeling like they needed something to do too so so i did this this thing i went well let's let's try you know people are locked inside we know people in the uk uh, they're locked in small properties where you, you couldn't take a rope and throw it and coil it up again without annoying two neighbors because yeah. the ropes for their property. Right. So, I mean, they, they need things to do. So we started doing things and I, I went, you know, I'm going to do a, a series of knot tying. It, it was, seemed like a random thing, but I thought, yeah, we don't generally cover this unless we're doing trail ride blanks. So I did a once a week knot and I started now. I thought, you know, what else I do? Let's just give people something to do because if you don't know what's going on, at least if you've got something to do, you feel better. Yeah. So I put forward what I call a two minute challenge. And I said, and I said, right, well, just online. What I mean by that is holding lead on um, online. Mm -hmm. Can you do these three things in two minutes? And it was a, a back up between and over and then a sideways and then a jump here and you know, there and back. Uh, and then we did another one the next week and we did a couple of these. And the result of that was I got a lot of people contact me and say, oh, where do I send my video to be marked? Ah. Well, what do you mean? Just I just want you to right, just go do stuff. <laughs> like just, you know, your horse, it's a good, you know, it helped me to spend time with my horses because it was a you know time of uncertainty. So that, mm -hmm. that helped me to do that. Yeah. So other people. So I kept getting these things about where do I do this? How do I do that? And and uh, you know, when you watch my video and, and what have you, and I was like, oh, maybe we should form some sort of a tournament group. So we did. We we said, right, we'll make it um. Now, here is me guessing how long the world was going to be in lockdown. Right. Okay. So I'm in touch with people from the UK and from Belgium and France and, and different places and, uh, that, I, that I teach. And they're all telling me how it's going there. And I'm going, okay. And then people from Australia and everybody's kind of in the same boat. Uh, a lot of these countries, people are, are forbidden from riding. So yes. you cannot ride. Yes. Which is a, a challenge. We had horses here to start. So, you know, and we were, it wasn't that you shouldn't do it, but we were aware that if somebody got hurt and, and you know, that takes up medical staff. And right. So we were just unsure about a lot of things. So we said, right, it'll just be an online and a liberty thing. Um, and what we'll do is every week we'll give you a little challenge. And the end of two months, we will have a tournament. So we'll have a tournament for online. And what's more, it's going to be, you're going to, you're going to form a team of four because we know you can't actually get together, mm -hmm. but virtually we'll team, form a team of four. Mm -hmm. So we went, right, I would do that. Um, and I thought, oh, we might have 20 or 30 people kind of do it. I don't know. Right. Uh, do we charge money for it or it's going to take hours of our time we'll charge everybody forty dollars for it mm -hmm. which is the equivalent for two of months 25 American and it was dollars. two and it's two months long two months long yeah oh my gosh 
So, and we didn't know, you probably realize I'm not so good at the internet, uh, the technology stuff. So we were learning that at a very, very rapid pace. Right. I could barely turn it on. <laughs> so, um, so we said, we'd do this. So I remember Ruth said, oh, we've got like 42 people have already signed up. I went, oh my goodness, that's really good. That'd be a nice group. We're going to have 10 team. And then when we got to 100, <gasps> we went... I can't, I, I can't answer any more questions. Like I just don't have enough time. Right. Questions. I think we just got to cap it. We can't have anybody else. We can't have anybody else. So just stop it at hundred. And then say, Oh, but such and such from France wants to join with their daughter. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll let them in. And then such and such from South Africa. We go, well, yeah. Okay. We'll let them in. Well, that's no problem. And then, so we ended up, we ended up with 112 people. Wow. And we made a, a deal there. We said, okay, you can have one professional in your team, but only one. Mm-hmm. And then we had a French group. They were four professionals that were friends. And they mm-hmm. said, well, can we, can we do it? But just don't tell anybody. Just don't, you know, give us any prizes or anything like that. Just don't tell anybody. But we'd just like to do it. And, right. And so we went, well, yeah, of course. Of course we can do it. Um, so, so we did. So we ended up with a, a professional. We ended up with two professional teams, as it turned out, uh, from Europe. So... We did all this, and when it came time, we had an online tournament. We somehow people contacted us and said, "So, who's sponsoring the prizes?" <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, nobody is. We were just going to use the money we'd got to put up prizes." Uh-huh. Oh, can we sponsor a prize? I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, you can do that." Uh-huh. So that was video coaching, most mostly. Um, and then we had somebody who I bought equipment from, they put in vouchers. So that was the professional people were able to have something as well. So we ended up with all these prizes that we didn't expect. So we wow, had a prize. And then we made it. So we had two, we had the online tournament and the following week, the Liberty tournament. And we made it a dress up. So I dressed up as James Bond and I did my, this is what you're going to have to do. Uh-huh. And the groups got together. Oh my goodness, it was hilarious because nobody could go to a costume hire place and get a costume. They had to right. make it head sheets and various oh, things. Oh, that's so viruses. cool. And we had cowboys and we had viruses. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, dressing in their team things. And, and we had international teams. We had one team there that all four of them were from different countries. And they had come together as a group there. And then we had the, the you know, the France, the, the two from France were with the two from Australia. And then we had the Belgians with this. And it, it was it was really great. So we, we did that and it came to an end. And then we went, well, what now? Because by the way, we're still in lockdown. <laughs> right. So we launched our club and, and we had a subscription club. Um, and we decided we'd make it for six months. And the reason for that is we knew by the end of the six months, we would have gone, we did that wrong and we need to, tweak some things so it's easier just to start afresh so we did it for six right. months and then we started afresh after the six months uh, we got the feedback and, and altered some things so mm-hmm. the long story getting a little shorter here is um is we have a club we have what we call a coaching club very cool monthly challenges so every okay. month is a challenge which is typically something that'll be on the ground and written mm-hmm. uh, we have a monthly lesson so it'll just be either i'm just giving a, a lesson this is what i would do if i was trying to do this with a horse or maybe mm-hmm. you've got a horse with a bridle or, or something like that or a student might actually send in a video and i've coached them through something via video and people can see how that's done so that would be monthly and then we have a q a that's monthly and then every three months we do a tournament oh that's and, so great uh last tournament ended yesterday so we've got the submissions to to assess 
Neat. That we we filmed during our winter time because, of course, we were here, mm-hmm. not, not teaching basically. Right. Uh, we filmed the a three course series. So we have the Connected Horse, which is basically our ground skills clinic, mm-hmm. um, safety and confidence in the saddle, which is our follow up clinic, and then our advancing horsemanship, which is the third in that series, and which basically gets people started. So that is also in the club as well as our master classes and, and various wow. things. Wow, I had no idea. I, I remember seeing a little bit about the tournament that you are talking about, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that you had all this stuff. This is really cool. Um, so like when we talked about the trailer loading course, so somebody could get that. And then if they have questions or maybe they want to shoot, send you a video of how it's going, they could join the club and, and do that in there. Absolutely. And what okay. we do, with our club members is anything we put out, uh, which which to this date, the only thing we have given them the free is the trailer. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everything they've got for free. But the idea is um, if they're a member of the club, they get 50% off any online product. Wow. So what, what actually ends up happening is people end up joining the, the club, getting 50% sure. off trailloading and go, well, I've got the trailing, but I've also got all this other support me- mechanisms as well. Right. Uh, it works pretty well for them. That is really, really cool. That's really cool. Okay, so I've got a couple questions for you, um, kind of related to your experience as an instructor. So the first one would be related to your experience as an instructor. You've dealt with all these people. Now you've dealt with people virtually, yeah. in person. Um, what would you say? Like, what's a typical obstacle that you feel like gets in the way of people's progress? And and then what what would you say to help them? Like, what's something mm-hmm. you commonly see? people getting stuck with? Um, I think there, there's obviously lots of things that we can have get in our way as humans. You know, mm-hmm. We're good at finding things to get in our way. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, probably in the in the early stages, the thing that trips people up is not what they don't know, but what they think is true or how they perceive things. So an example of that is I'll sometimes in clinics call somebody's horse an animal Mm -hmm. and i've had people really upset with me for doing that oh interesting or referring to their horse as an animal Uh and it tends to have a little shock value that i would consider their horse to be an animal Uh um what it does is it highlights the fact that they don't think of it as an animal they they are thinking of it as you know fluffy right right or or banjo or you know they're thinking of as that individual and Mm -hmm. if and, and really the the horse they perceive in their mind isn't actually the horse that that's not the horse that that is a animal it's a horse and it's this and it's that. and these are the things that motivate it more than the fact that you think it's fluffy or right. you think it's or you think it's you know yellow or you know these are the things that motivate it so the anthropomorphism that people have in the early stages can really be difficult and that can come out in a lot of different ways that can come out in you know i just love my horse my horse would never hurt me or this could come out in a slightly different way or he oh, he's just being a pig he's just you know doing this because he's right this. like but that's not how they think mm-hmm. um so we we've actually over the years studied quite a bit of science behind horses and how they learn mm-hmm. um, which has actually altered our style a little bit to be mm-hmm. fair it's shown us how some things have worked and also how we could make them work better by mm-hmm. If we take more time here and, and observe that a little better, this will be clearer. 
So I think in the early stages, it's, it's having an anthropomorphic approach can really be difficult for people to get over mm -hmm. that and keep going. As people get further along, I see something a little bit different uh, that, that kind of trips them up a bit. And, you know, I, I liken it to if your life's ambition is to climb this huge mountain and you, you're going for it and this is your goal and your focus and you're going for it and you get two thirds of the way up and now you're two thirds of the way up and you realize there's no path from here. I can't make it to the top from here. Ooh. But you look below you and you see that most people stopped a third way up the mountain. Mm -hmm. like they're done. Like they're not going any further. Right. <laughs> That's, that was a big climb for them. They've right? got the beer out, the picnic lunch. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking pretty good to them. You know, you're, you're way up there, mm -hmm. but you know, you can't get any further from here. The only choice you have is to go all the way back to the bottom, find a new path and try that path. And that puts you back behind the other people that have already stopped the third way up and like they're done. And that's a tough deal. Like that, that's a decision. Like, am I satisfied here or do I want to complete what my vision really is? What I thought my goal was. Right. That's a hard one. Cause this has taken a lot of effort to get here. Right. Know? So you got to make some choices and the, and there's a lot of people go, you know what, this has been really difficult to get to this point. I'm happy here. Yeah. And then others go, well, I'm going to walk all the way back past <laughs> those people. I go right back to the bottom again and, and find a new path and know that I've got to do this whole thing all over again with, and still maybe get two thirds up and go, it might be wrong. I might right. have to go down again and, and find a new path. Um, so I see that in, in some people where they get to a certain point and within their circle, they're doing well. Mm -hmm. But if they want to do better, than they're doing, they can't keep going that path. That's you know, super interesting. That analogy that I, I, the one thing that popped in my mind is that when you go back down to the bottom and you start again, you aren't truly starting again. You are, but you're, you're skilled and you have experiences now where you're going to move up that mountain much faster. Hope so. Yes. Right. Hopefully. Um, so did this, did this, concept this analogy come from your own experience like can you give us an example of a time where you felt like i had to go back to the bottom and start again well you know over the it's funny actually um because of my schedule over the years i was often at a point where i'd, I'd have my own horses at a certain level and uh, these horses are not yet developed to my level of skill is how I felt. Mm -hmm. Now I've never verbalized that to anybody before, mm -hmm. <laughs> but but that's how I felt because I just didn't have the time to spend with them. And we'd do shows and different things, but mm -hmm. I, I know I could, you know, do better with them. And I know I've got the skills to do better with them, but I just haven't had the time. Mm -hmm. I'm in teaching in the southern southern hemisphere over our summer, and then I go to the northern hemisphere to teach over their summer, and then right. I'm starting colts, and you know, I have very little time with horses. Um I'm now at a point where the horses I have, I have horses that are completely up to my <laughs> level. Uh -huh. It's like, I, I feel like I don't have anything more to offer you. Like, this is as good as I, I am. Uh -huh. You have so much more potential. Oh, so, interesting. You know, I, I've in recent times gone, well, I want to, there's some things I want to do, 
but I have very little reference for this. So um, I, I got a keen interest in working equitation. And if you kind of study that, you realize that most of the people who got involved in that have a really classical dressage background. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Pedro Torres, I mean, he, he has such a classical dressage background and, and he was the one that's wo- that has won most of the world championships and things like that more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it is. Um, and of course, they come from a culture where that's normal. The, that kind of Iberian culture is normal, like, where you know here I live, you'll get boy races doing donuts and things like that on the country <laughs> right. road. Right, Portugal and the the boy races are doing PF right on their horses. You know, it's a very different culture. Right. So, well, that's what I want to do. So I've recently had to go. I I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to do dressage lessons. And we're walking, and this is dull. And right. you know, I can do a shoulder in, but not the way you want it done and not right. to use the horse to its maximum capability and, and adds a platform to build more from. So do I just go, well, geez, I can do shoulder in and half passes and lead changes. I can even do a little canter pirouette, but it's not to the quality and it never will be unless I go back and start at a walk in the beginning. Yes. And, oh my word. Right. <laughs> Is that what I want to do, you know? Yeah. But again, that's what I have to do. Right. That's really helpful. I'm glad that um, you shared that. I think that helps kind of uh, put a better picture to what you're talking about with heading back down to the bottom of the mountain. Um, that's, that's, really, that's really interesting. So I have another question um, that's more related to um, your own journey, um, which you just talked about. But um, can you think of a time, like a, either a story or just a time in your own journey where you really struggled with something and what, what got you through it? Mm. At one time or another, you know, in real life, you have struggles and, and I've had probably countless smaller <laughs> struggles. Um, but I guess something significant and perhaps a little more unique to myself was on the 18th of November, 2012, um, I had my right leg amputated from the knee down. So. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, I say amputated. It, was, um, it was removed to a point where it was no longer attached. Oh my God. And reattached in hospital. Wow. So, I knew you had been injured, Russell, but I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was obviously a physical blow, but it was more than that. It's how it affected me outside of the physical body that that really was the struggle. Uh, and, and, you know, I was told I'd never ride again and, you know, you left wow. up and so on and so on. So <clears throat> it was, yeah, it was, it was um, interesting. And at the time, you spend a lot of time on drugs to where, you know, mentally you're not really the same person anyway, because you're being affected by these drugs. Right. So, you know, this, this happens. And when I got out of hospital um, at that point, it was right. You you'll be in this range of motion brace or ROM brace for a few months um you've got no bend now 
after a month, they will give you 20% bend. Like they'll make it to where you can bend up to 20%. Okay. Three months, they'll make it to where you can bend up to 90%. And that type. And it's, they're not, it's not staying bent. It's just, it's limiting you so you can only bend so far. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've got a range of motion. Okay. Gotcha. You leave hospital with zero. Okay. With zero. It's totally straight. Totally straight. Okay. It's, it's trying to reattach. They've, they've physically put it back together with what they have left. And there's bits of, you know, leg not there anymore, but they've oh done what they can do. Right. Um, and it was reasonably straight. They were very proud of the fact that it was reasonably straight. Uh-huh. Um, and they said it'll either it'll be too tight, in which case you may not get much bend out of it, or it'll be too least loose and it'll keep popping out, which is a, a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. So... Obviously, you know, at that point, I had my whole life geared around what I was going to do with horses. Right, right. And that was like, you're not going to do that. So I kind of really, you know, just, I just got to a point where that, that's just not an option. I have to do something. So I came up with all sorts of dumb ideas like, well, what if I just got back into driving? I've done a bit of driving. I'm not that good at it, but I've done a bit of practical driving. I mm-hmm. could just get a horse with a little little deal and he could cart me around like that. I could just, you know, have a gig and get around like that if I can't ride and, mm-hmm. and you know, something like this. And then really what what happened when the fog cleared a little bit, um, I just started going, well, I'm going to change the carts to how. How can I do that? Oh, it's so good. I, so there were a lot of carts at that time. Sure. The so first thing was you, you get called back to the hospital after a certain point at home. And, and you know, I had crutches. It's painful to, to have your leg down. Um, but especially at, at that time, they said no weight bearing for three months. But you can get around these crutches. Uh, but that was obviously a little painful just to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that and et cetera, et cetera. So after, I can't even remember now whether it was a month or six weeks back at the hospital. So I went in for my 20% you know, movement and they just mm-hmm. went up and just opened it right up to 90. Okay, so they did that. No movement whatsoever. So physiotherapy, all this type of thing. Um, after a while, the physiotherapist said, I can't get it to move. Oh my gosh. So went through all that whole thing. And yeah, you know, there are multiple little little stories within that, I guess. And I, I mean, I did, I just got a new physiotherapist for a start. So I got mm-hmm. a new physiotherapist. I did acupuncture. I did some deal where they stuck needles into you and set fire to the needles and you know, electric shocks and all these different things and hydrotherapy and, and various things. And I did Pilates, which I really hated, which is probably <laughs> the single most helpful thing that I did. Because she brought me all the way back down the mountain and went, okay, you've got to activate. I've never had a woman so preoccupied by my butt before. (laughs) This woman was, we've got to activate this muscle. And, you know, you don't have a quadricep, you've got a monocept here. And, and, you know, this is what we've got to do. And it's because these things, I don't even know if that's attached, but we've got to try and get it working. and Um, And slowed everything right up. And that was a single most helpful thing that I actually did. Wow. Uh, which was good and mm-hmm. lucky that it ha- did happen. Did the did the Pilates instructor, did she have a background in physical therapy or was she just 
she just knew Pilates and knew the body and she was just a, a, a Pilates instructor. Mm -hmm. Had she had a, a background in physiotherapy, the government would have paid for me to go and see it. We have a system here called ACC, oh. Accident Compensation Corporation. Everything else I'd mentioned was paid for by them to try and get okay. me But she wasn't. She, they weren't recognized. But somebody had said, you know, I had my knee you know, damaged and she helped me. And I went, okay, I'm going to try and get in there. And I had to book months in advance, but finally that came around. I wasn't any better off anyway. And, mm -hmm. and so I had to pay for that myself. But um, but she had rehabilitated a lot of various people in various ways. And she mm -hmm. absolutely knew the way your body should walk or should move. Mm -hmm. And one of the things was, you know, she said, you don't even walk properly. Well, weirdly enough, when they reattach the muscles to things, they're trying to get blood supply and they attach things not quite as they were originally. Mm -hmm. you, don't know how to walk because you don't have that muscle memory anymore right because it's never it? been your body's never been in that configuration before yeah so it's like this is weird wow um, and and i did something i haven't gone through all these medical people and i actually started weight bearing a lot earlier i decided that you know there, there's obviously the the initial healing attachment process has to happen but then there's got to be some sort of strengthening process and I kind of decided that if there was no stress on it, it would have no reason mm -hmm. to get stronger. So I started weight bearing a little bit early, like four months, no, four weeks early. Mm -hmm. uh, not ridiculous, like just touching it to the ground. It was a bit mm -hmm. nice. um, but the process was it sped up my walking a lot. And I got walking a lot earlier than, than expected, um, which was good. And then, you know, it was still very limiting. <laughs> And I did do something kind of a bit stupid in that time. I guess I wanted to prove that I was going to do what I wanted to do. Right. So I taught my horse to lay down. I, I'd started to teach it before the accident. So I just managed, and he, he's an obliging sort of horse. So I was lucky with that, but mm -hmm. I got him to lay down so I could and get which, on. And which horse is this? This is Maverick. Maverick, is okay. Andalusian thoroughbred cross. Mm -hmm. So I... I rode him around with my legs sticking out and it really bothered him because I had a leg sticking out over here. Um, and then, oh, I haven't taught him to lay down to get off. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so how am I going to get off this horse? Oh, my gosh. So I ended up, he took me over to a fence and I managed to kind of not very beautifully get off. And then I noticed there was a bow in my leg where my leg had actually, it wasn't healed enough and it actually started wrapping around and both oh wow and i figured out i should probably just leave that for a little while longer <laughs> <laughs> it just reshaped my knee for me um but yeah and that so that was the, uh, the whole thing the, the really tough thing was i i guess just to you know be in that position where you you have your life is changing now you can't do what you could do to well how much of my life is going to change how can i do what i want to do right and it's one of those injuries you never recover from, but you you heal, but you never recover fully. Right. Uh, which I haven't. And it, there certainly are some physical limitations. But as far as, you know, the everyday, what I can do, I have to work around some things. And it's always a, and from there on in, it, it just really got me going, well, how can I do that? That is, that is incredible. I mean, I think that is, uh, I mean, even when you said in the beginning, when you didn't know for sure, and it you may not have regained any bend or use of your leg, 
that you even thought, well, I know I want to be around horses. Not being around horses is not an option. So how can I do it? And you start coming up with, well, I could drive and I could do this. And there's something that happens in our brain when we start asking questions, as opposed to thinking of the things, like thinking of all of the obstacles and I can't do this and I can't do that. And I can't do that. Like even saying that to you right now, I can feel my brain. It's like, it blocks. It's just, it's not a good feeling. But then if you, if you start asking questions, like I love that you said, instead of the can'ts, I started thinking of hows. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, that's a doozy. What's that? It's something that that still affects me. Like it, it was a little bit of a traumatic time, you might oh, say. Oh, yeah. 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 And that too, like, you know, I I think that our bodies and our brains and our spirits or, you know, however you want to look at it are so intertwined that, um, cause I've gotten injured a couple of times now and, um, not like what you went through, but where I had, you know, six months to a year of recovery. And, and the thing that I noticed, um, was how intertwined those things were like for me, a complete loss of confidence, you know, getting back on, I mean, complete loss, like almost like terror feelings I'd never felt before. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it was, it was because my body wasn't ready. And then as soon as my, as my body started to heal the confidence, um, it didn't miraculously heal with it. Like I had to do things to rebuild my confidence, but that panicky feeling changed. So, you know, as, as I see the emotion that you're feeling about that, um, time, like it makes total sense to me that all of that takes so long to heal and, and not to, I mean, I think that I think probably for the rest of your life, that when you tell that story, that's a, that's a big deal. That's Mm -hmm. a big deal that, you know, most people don't ever go through, you know, um, maybe, you know, people that are, are fighting in wars go through something that traumatic. I mean, that's a pretty traumatic deal. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And um, cause I think that so many people can benefit from the things that you learned to get you through that. Um, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. We're, we're trying not to repeat that though. Yeah, please, please. Yeah. I would, I'd vote for that. Yeah. And it, it's like, um, I saw another of your Facebook videos just recently where you showed the running alongside your horse. And is that Maverick or is that a new horse that you're doing that with? Uh, that's actually a new horse. That's my horse, Cassidy. Okay. But you're, you're, you're back to being able to do that Russell Higgins, you know, yeah. mount. It's a funny thing about that. See, so 2020, no, sorry. Yeah. 2020, 2020, we actually got, out of lockdown the rest of the world was still doing that and we were like hey we're out we're good but we can't go anywhere but we, <laughs> right and we actually had a large equestrian event called equifest mm-hmm. and i participated in it and part of my participation was doing a night show a demonstration where i had three horses and, and the idea was to have the three of them to my right side now there's a reason they're to my right side i can no longer manage to do it with them on my left because I have to push off on that leg right so now that's a bit more awkward so now I, it has to be that side so I have to get it and had you before the accident had you 
had you done it from that side? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, you so could do it either side. Yeah. So okay. it just it didn't matter which side I ended up on. I could I could get on. Okay. Is, but now it's actually it doesn't really work that side. Mm -hmm. So what was supposed to happen during this demonstration is I was supposed to have three horses to my right. We were cantering along. I would mount the closest horse, and then whilst they're cantering, change to the middle horse and wow. then ride them from there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think now, when I look back on it, it was the practice of the mounting that had probably hurt the knee. Mm -hmm. So I entered there, it was really sore. Like it was sorer than it usually is. Like it was mm -hmm. really sore. So it, was, it was debatable whether or not I was going to do that. And, and I kind of got it done. It wasn't real slick, but I kind of got it done. And then um, after that, it was like, okay, I, I can't bend my leg again. And then I went through that whole thing about, oh my goodness, is this like when it packs up? Is this, you know, right. they told me not to do this and I've done it. Right. This is all going to real kick off now. So um, anyway, what, what ended up happening was uh, you know, I, I saw a doctor, went in with my homemade walking stick and mm -hmm. saw a doctor. And, and it, we had x-rays and ultrasound and everything. And, and I remember when the, the person who did the, uh, the x-ray, she said, wow, do you want to have a look at this? <laughs> she said, see all these bits? These are all bits of bone floating around. Is there any one of those could have moved? And, and I'm going, yeah, yeah. And I guess those are the metal pieces they used to connect this and that. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, so there was no telling. But what basically happened, it was so simple. They, they gave me some anti-inflammatory. So in, in this country, if I go to um, a store and buy anti-inflammatories, it's really watered down. Mm -hmm. Anti-inflammatories, painkillers, like they're really watered down. Uh, and I only know that from going to other countries where you go, oh my goodness, there's like five times more of this ingredient in that in the French one than there is in the New Zealand mm -hmm. stuff like that. So he gave me some real anti-inflammatory, brought the swelling down. It was good as gold after that. But it did, we did kind of say, Ruth and I, was, she just said, just don't do that again. Right. <laughs> just like, just, just don't do that. You can do all these other things. You don't have to do that. So I said, okay, well, that's fine. And I thought, but maybe while I can, I will do it again. And I'll uh -huh. teach the horse how to do it. So what you saw was me teaching that horse how to do that with probably a little bit of me going, let's see if I can still do it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Ruth just staying in the house, probably. <laughs> <laughs> She's just going, didn't we have a conversation about this? Right. right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I really appreciate um, all the things that you shared. I mean, you've shared so much um, information and I feel like I got to know you better. And I hope that the people that already know you may have learned some new things and then people that have never met you um, will want to learn more um, with you and about you. Um, so how can people connect with you? Well, of course, it's all getting very um, digital now that mm -hmm. we we obviously we run clinics throughout New Zealand and we we're allowing ourselves to leave the country next year well actually this year we're off in Australia teaching and then next year we're off in South Africa and then uh, UK and France we've got things booked there already but um, basically the the website is always a good place to start and I've got a very unoriginal web name it's mm -hmm. Russell Higgins perfect dot nz dot co dot nz be a bit different to dot com but russellhiggins.co.nz and then from there there's all my contact details and okay. what we do clubs and our schedules and where we are in the world and, and things like that so that's probably the the easiest way for people to make contact 
Okay, great. So I'll make sure that that link is easy for people to get to. And uh, I really appreciate you visiting with us. It was really enlightening and fun. And uh, I appreciate it a lot. Thank you, Molly. Thank you very much. I hope you loved that conversation. As I already shared with Russell, I'm so grateful to him for sharing his journey with us. And it made me think about how no matter where you are in your journey, whether you've just started with horses or you've been in it for decades, we all travel a similar path with similar twists and turns. And hearing from somebody like Russell, who has achieved a level of excellence, but has faced a lot of challenges along the way, can help us to lace up our boots and keep going with the knowledge that we're not alone. Thank you for joining in today. My hope is that this conversation finds the people who need to hear it. You can help me with this by liking, subscribing, following, commenting, reviewing, etc. All of these things help to spread the word. I'm grateful for you and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.